לקוטי שיחס חלק תסבוב, פרשס וירא, שיחה גימל. In Perak Chachvalev, chapter 21, verse 32, Pasuk Lamed Beis, the Torah tells us that Avram Avinu planted an eshel, a tamarisk tree in Be'er Sheva, and Vayikra Shem Shem B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam, and there he invoked the name of God, the Eternal God. The Gemara in the Tractate of Saita states, Al Tikri Vayikra, Ella Vayakri, read it not as he invoked God's name, but as he caused others to invoke God's name. All who passed Avram's tent and entered it to eat and drink would then rise to bless Avram, and he would say to them, Do you think you ate something that was mine? Michel Aleke Oilamachaltem. You consumed food from God, the God of the universe. Praise and thank Him and bless the one who spoke the world into existence. In the Medrash, Bracious Rabbah, there is more about this. There were those, the Medrash tells us, who didn't want to bless God, who created the world, for the food that they ate. And Avram would then demand that they pay a lot of money for their food and drink, for after all, where can one get food in the desert? But when they heard this pricey demand, they gave in and said, Blessed is the God of the universe of whose food we ate. So it seems that when they said this, it was because they had no choice, just to avoid paying a lot of money and not because they were moved to agree to bless God, which is really strange. Those who Avraham impressed or convinced with his words were moved to bless God. He did indeed cause them to invoke the eternal name of God. But those who were forced into it, into blessing God, whatever was the achievement there, just that they once said these words under duress, when they were in Avraham's tent, how can we suggest, as the Gemara does, that Avraham in this way made known God's name in the world? There was no recognition of a creator. It was just forced. Now, if we were talking about a Jew, then there's Maimonides, the Rambam's halachic determination that even if a Jew is forced to do a mitzvah or to avoid a transgression, it's still considered his will because a Jew wants to be part of his people and wants to do mitzvahs and to distance himself from transgression. But his evil inclination gets the better of him, forcing him until his inclination agrees and he says, I do want this. In other words, internally and in essence, this is what a Jew wants to fulfill mitzvahs and his lack of desire is only an external experience, the coercion serves to neutralize this external desire and the declaration of I want this, the mitzvah, then stems from the revealed essential will of a Jew. But we aren't talking about the Jew. The Torah refers to kol over v'shav, all the wayfarers, who were coming and going 
past Avraham's tent. The Yafei Toyer, a comprehensive commentary on Medrash Rabba, written by Rabbi Shmuel Yafa Ashkenazi, who lived in the late 16th century, was Rav of the Jewish Ashkenaz community of Constantinople, says that though possibly these wayfarers were fooling Avraham when they responded as he insisted and did it only because they felt forced to, nevertheless, Avraham did this in order to fulfill his obligation to God. If they fooled him, then the sin is on them. But we have to ask, first of all, if they're just fooling Avraham and tricking him, of what benefit is this? What does Avraham accomplish this way? And secondly, and more important even, is how can we say Avraham did this just to fulfill his obligation to God, but it wasn't authentic for the people who said this? In fact, the Medrash teaches us elsewhere in Bracious Rabbah that for this very act of getting people to announce Baruch Kel Oilam, God said, I'm considering you, Avraham, my partner in creation. And furthermore, my name was not recognized among the people of the world until you made me known to my creations. This tells us that Avraham did accomplish something in these situations. He made people aware, caused them to recognize a creator, and that makes him a partner in creation. What's interesting is that we find no point where the Torah highlights that that would be true only for the people who willingly and not under duress declared that God was the eternal God of the universe. We can understand this by explaining and first understanding the concept of revealing one's internal will, not just verbally, but when one's internal will becomes one's external will, particularly when it's beaten out of a person or they're exhausted to the limits of their arguments. We see this happen with the Miraglim, the spies, who first, when returning from their reconnaissance of Israel or Canaan, came back saying, they are stronger than us, we cannot conquer them, and they caused the nation to weep in fear and to call for a return to Egypt. But Moshe spoke strongly to them, and the nation had deep regret for their reaction, and then said that they were ready to go up to the place God said they would go to. This actually also helps us further understand the Mishnah that teaches that Bechol Yom Vayom, Bas Kol Yoytzeis Mehachayrev, Umachrezes Vaymeres, Oy Lahem Labriyes, Malbayna Shol Every day, day in, day out, a heavenly voice goes forth from Chayrev and announces, Woe to humankind for their contempt of Torah, for whoever doesn't occupy himself. In Torah is being reprimanded, as it is said in Proverbs, it's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So is a beautiful woman who has no sense. So it seems, the Mishnah is saying, is the Jew who has Torah and yet is contemptuous of it. Here's the question, though. Isn't the point of a heavenly voice to evoke an arousal for the Jew to awaken and change his way 
and to become engaged in Torah? Why isn't this announcement about the goodliness of Torah, its preciousness, the value of Torah study? Why does this voice call out and highlight only the negative and the lack of Torah study among us? Particularly as the wording of the Mishnah tells us that this heavenly proclamation is to all, including those who are only on the level of Briais, just creatures, just human beings. In other words, as the Altareb explains, distant from God's Torah and divine service, and as such are called just humans of this world, as if to say that the only thing they have going for them is that God created them. And yet the appeal to engage in Torah is to them as well. How then can there be this declaration of woe to those who are contemptuous of Torah without an explanation how important studying Torah is? This is supposed to be sufficient in convincing a Jew to embrace Torah study? The explanation is that every Jew has a godly soul that aspires to fulfill the mitzvahs. Beyond that, even every Jew, every Jew holds hidden within him precious treasures of faith in God, love of God, the root of all 248 positive mitzvahs, and he doesn't require all the explanations about how important studying Torah is. He just needs to be able to reveal what's inside, and he will organically be motivated to engage in Torah. If a person was not that distant from Torah and divine service, then all he would need is a divine revelation to reveal his own inner treasures. But because one may be on that level of Bries, just a human being, so distant from God, his externals are so dense that they completely obscure the light of the soul, and so they need stripping away of the materialism and the corporeality needs to be broken. This occurs through the proclamation that reprimands us. Woe to humankind who do not engage in Torah. Now that announcement that breaks the density of one's materialism is for the Jew who can detect that their spiritual status has fallen to the extent that they've grown contemptuous of Torah. Even in that deeply dense and removed state, a Jew can sense his spiritual decline, and thus the reprimand that breaks the corporeality doesn't just crack it open, but an actual revelation takes place, bringing their light out from its concealed state. There is, however, yet a lower level, when a person truly no longer senses his spirit, because the density and the corporeality completely hide and obscure his inner soul. A Jew like that cannot sense his lowliness, and he really needs the reprimand and the reminder that his being is broken. He needs that outcry which will cause his being to break open and become once more a vessel for holiness. 
This second reality is like the story in the Gemara in the Tractate of Tainus. The story is related, says the Gemara, of Rebbe Lazar and Rebbe Shimon, who encountered a truly ugly person. He commented on this ugliness, saying how very ugly this person was, to which the man responded, go tell the one, or the craftsman who created me, how ugly this specimen that he created is. The terminology of the Gemara comes into question. What was Rebbe Lazar thinking? Didn't he know to begin with that that man's body and form is God's work? Also, how could Rebbe Lazar talk this way to someone? The answer, Rebbe Lazar was addressing the man's ugly spiritual status and his spiritual vacuum. He perceived the man's deep and total spiritual decline. And even the one quality of being a mensch, a bria, a human being, wasn't discernible on this person. Rebbe Lazar detected that the spiritual state of this person was one that prevented even a proper greeting of Shalom, and that the only way to affect this person's return would be through humiliation and ignominy, a nullification of the individual. That alone could break the denseness and material blockage of the spirit. And indeed, immediately the man invokes God as master and creator of the world when he says, go talk to the craftsman who created me. He recognizes and acknowledges that he was created by God. And even beyond that, he isn't simply a being, he is formed by a craftsman, an artist with definition and purpose. This is his immediate response to the humiliation. Much in a similar manner, we can explain the Hasidic story that occurred with Rebbe Rashab at the onset of his leadership. A Jew entered into Yechidus, a private audience, with the Rebbe Rashab and requested a blessing for something important, something for which he needed great mercy. And yet the Rebbe Rashab told him that he could not help him. When the Jew heard this and he left the Rebbe's presence, he burst into bitter tears. As he stood there weeping, the Razor, Reb Zalman Aaron, the brother of the Rebbe Rashab, approached him and asked him why he was crying so. The man told him what had happened in Yechidus. The Razor went into his brother's room. It was, as we said still, the beginning of the Rebbe Rashab's leadership, and challenged him and said, Is this the way to deal with a Jew? A Jew comes and asks for your blessing, and you tell him you can't help him, and he ends up weeping from this now additional pain? In response, the Rebbe Rashab put on his gartel and instructed for this man to re-enter. When he came back into the Rebbe Rashab, he blessed him, and indeed this blessing was ultimately fulfilled. So of course we want to understand why the Rebbe refused to help a Jew at first, and with such a painful rebuff, literally breaking the other person. After all, even if we imagine that the Rebbe Rashab could not help him, surely there was a way to calm him, to comfort him. Chazal teaches that even when a sharp sword rests against a person's neck, 
he should not discount the possibility of mercy. Perhaps this can be understood when we observe it as compared to what we explained earlier. The Jew who asked for the Rebbe's blessing wasn't in a suitable spiritual space at that moment to receive a big blessing, and he needed a big blessing. So the Rebbe told him he couldn't help him, which shook the man so badly that it caused him to really break down and to feel so subdued and so humbled. He poured his heart out to God, and it was this that transformed him, making him a vessel for blessing. This type of rebuke intended not to reveal an inner soul light, but rather due to a person's lowly spiritual status at that time when they are incapable of receiving holy light, intends to motivate a person to engage with his coarseness and to break it. And this is in a similar way relevant also to a non-Jew. The difference, of course, is though that no matter what condition a Jew in is in, he has a godly soul. And so even as he sins, he wants to be part of his people. Even as he sins, he wants to do mitzvahs. So the breaking open of his coarseness is external for him. The purpose is to reveal his internal existent light. A non-Jew does not have a godly soul and can, through this breaking, only reach the spiritual level that a non-Jew is capable of reaching. Accordingly, we can understand the reason Avraham pushed and pressured the random wayfarers who ate at his table to say, blessed is the eternal God of the universe whose food we have eaten. As Bnei Noyach, the sons of Noyach, the descendants of Noyach, particularly after the flood, they were able to recognize that there is a landlord to this domicile. And so Avram Avinu was involved in spreading godliness to all who passed through with lengthy explanations in divine concepts. But when he saw that a a portion of these people don't accept his explanations because of their coarseness, their dense corporeality, denser even than a ben noyach, like Shem and Yefes were different to Chum, he would proceed to break that extra density, to pressure them and cause them acute discomfort, thereby causing them to absorb and take in Avram's reasoning that they were eating God's food in this barren desert and, they, they should, and that they should acknowledge and praise God. The lesson here is quite clear. Our forefathers' actions serve as lessons and an indication for our actions. We are to act as Avraham Avinu did, to make God known in the world and even in the way he did it. Not to be satisfied with drawing near a Jew who is in our own home, but to go out to the street and to attend to the wayfarer to all who are passing by, and to do so any way we can, 
even if it means feeding people and providing drink. More than that, even if influencing someone requires a bit of gentle pressure. Now, if the proverbial arguer comes along and argues, challenging the purpose of this, and says, the guy may have done a mitzvah, but he had no desire to and no pleasure in it, and he did it to get rid of you pressuring him. Who knows what he'll do tomorrow? Hence, the Torah tells us, teaches us in this story of Avraham that there's a lesson. If in the days of Avraham, when there were only Bnei Noyach, before Matan Torah, this caused people to recognize God and God's creation, certainly after Matan Torah, and certainly a Jew who wants to be part of his people and wants to do a mitzvah, it may, it may yet all be concealed within him. That bit of pressure will cause his inner will to be revealed as his external desire. And one mitzvah will become another and another to the ultimate fulfillment of mitzvah performance in a very complete way. The work of spreading and publicizing God's name in this world making God as creator known to all will hasten in a similar way the fulfillment of the promise that the world will be filled with awareness of God like waters cover the earth through a king from the house of David who will compel all of Israel to follow the Torah and to strengthen the breaches of the written Torah and the oral Torah with a true and complete redemption through our righteous Moshiach.